Hello, and welcome to the DOS Champions Podcast. We're going to be talking about the USMNT November window and do a little review of the Jamaica game. I'm joined by my good friend, Alex Weinstein. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Happy to be here. And of course, I am Ryan Tooney. Uh, I want everybody to uh, reach out to us on Twitter if you got the time and the inclination. You can hit us up at ChampionsDoss. Once again, that is at ChampionsDoss. But without dilly-dallying anymore, let's get into it. We're going to start off by talking about uh, the game versus Jamaica that happened a little while ago now. But uh, yeah, Alex, how do you feel about that game in general? I feel like that game was a game that we could have potentially done better in. I'm not too upset given a few components of the game, such as the field and the refereeing, and our win against Mexico helps, but um, there were some issues. Um, I think squad depth and roster selection and substitutions were all issues in that game, Um, and I think we should take those issues seriously. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually pretty satisfied with a um, with a point given how things went. You know, I want I always want more, and I, I think we should be beating a team like Jamaica uh, on the road because we're better than they are. But you know, there was that huge miss by Bobby Reed, and then they should have been given a goal on that header. Uh, you know, all the crappy stuff with Concacaf aside, with the bad field and the bad refing. Uh, I think we're lucky to get out of there with a point. Um, I'm also pretty satisfied with the starting lineup that was put out, but I'm really not satisfied by the performance at all. Specifically with um, the performances, though, I want to highlight Tim Weah because he he played so well. He's been playing really well for us, um, really, for the last couple games. And, yeah, we'll get in more with him specifically and what his, uh, you know, ascent means in terms of how we think the roster should be managed. Uh, anything you want to say about Jamaica, Al? Um, as far as Jamaica, I would just say that uh, Mikel Antonio was always going to score a goal in this game. And any time we play Jamaica, we should expect the is either third or fourth leading goal scorer in the EPL to net one. Um, he's one of those guys with a history of just scoring from any unorthodox angle he chooses. He does that in the EPL, and he did it in this game. Decided, hey, I have a touch here. I'm going to bomb one and scored off that opportunity. Um, so that's all I have to say about Jamaica. They're a very physical team. They're a large team. Um, there's weird mismatches on the field, but Mikel Antonio is good for a goal every game. Yeah, I agree. Probably the best striker in CONCACAF. Um, the guy's an absolute beast for West Ham. Uh, I'm touching on that physical side from Jamaica. I think we were missing our key player in order to combat that type of thing. Weston McKinney is such an integral part of what makes the United States what it is right now. He's kind of like the link back to the old ways of, of being like, he's such a warrior. Uh, and we miss that fire. Um, the only other guys that I even think can bring that in our, in our pool are Hope, who wasn't called in and probably rightfully so, because he's not getting a ton of time for his club. And then Aronson. Uh, I, I see the fire in those guys in terms of like going out there and to, to fight. It just doesn't feel like we're getting that from enough people. And specifically, Tyler Adams, he's the captain. And there's been a few moments through this last window where he just doesn't seem like a, the kind of like fighter that you need in these tough games. 
Uh, what do you think about that, Al? I think you nailed it. Um, it feels as though for the entire Bundesliga season and men's national team international breaks, we've been expecting Adams to be this absolute dog. And in some ways, he has those qualities, his ability to his stamina and his ability to be mobile and move around the field um, is outstanding. But Adams is not the guy um, that I think many of us thought he could be, or at least he's not that right now. He is not the real Captain America. He's not the guy who's putting the team on his back. There's been a lot of mistakes we've seen out of Adams, uh, mental mistakes, not just in terms of passing, but also uh, positioning in many cases. Um, I do think the the opportunity that Chucky Lozano had in the Mexico game was in large part because of Adams' positioning. And note the Mikel Antonio goal, Adams was the guy who was covering him and gave the angle for the shot. Um, those are two very literal examples, but there's many other things on the field that indicate that Adams is struggling to be that guy. And who is that warrior behind Weston? I don't know. I think Aronson and Hopper are good options, but this goes back to why roster selection is so important because we need to find that warrior. Yeah, um, and kind of to note on Adams, there was a moment we're going. I'm going back to the Mexico game now, but where he got completely clattered into by Raúl Jiménez, and I remember you saying after the whole incident came, uh, like ended, you're like, "Wow, why are you shaking his hand?" Basically, and that's the kind of thing that like. I don't know. He's like a, he's a friendly guy, and he seems like a hard worker and everything. But man, when your when your opponent clatters right into your back, and it seems like a cheap shot to me, I don't know that you should be getting all friendly with him afterward. Um, yeah, just kind of a, a note on his mentality, maybe. I don't disagree. I, I would like to see him get mean and get angry. Yeah, exactly. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, speaking specifically about like some of the substitutions in the game. Um, Weya out. That was kind of weird. He was our most effective player. Acosta in. It, it felt like kind of um, Greg wanted a warrior in there, but Acosta just doesn't bring enough in a progressive sense in order to to be a game changer and for us to go out and like win the game. Then you couple that with putting Areola in, and suddenly it's like, are we trying to go out and win, or are we trying to you know? be conservative and settle for a point. And this was when it, I see a shift from like good Greg, where he puts out our better players and tries to play aggressive to bad Greg, where he is kind of fearful and becomes conservative. And we end up playing this turgid, like defeatist style. Yeah. I don't, uh, I want to go back to way out. I'm going to cover on all the subjects that you did and all in all, I agree. He goes from good Greg to bad Greg. The I want to be winning this game to I'm afraid and I'm just going to sub all my comfort options in because that will preserve a draw. Weah should not have come out when he did. Weah has been arguably the best player for us this international break. He's a different guy when he puts on the red, white, and blue. He he was taken out of the game too early. And that from that substitution on, our team went from having... um a pretty solid offensive presence to almost an entirely defensive position. Um, Acosta has demonstrated in multiple games that if he comes on the field, don't expect to generate offense. It is such a dichotomous midfield when he's on versus when he's not on. Really, when any MLS guy is on versus when they're not on. But Acosta brings a certain phenomena to the team, which is almost an inherent 
play style that's defensive. Ariola has no position on this team. He did next to nothing. He probably did more damage than he did good in the time that he was on the field. There was a moment uh, off of the goal that was called back in which Zach Steffen played him a beautiful ball out of the back. It was Ariola with nobody but Greenfield and the goalkeeper in front of him. And Ariola botched the first touch. He doesn't do anything offensively, defensively. I don't even understand why he comes back for corners. He's like five foot six. Um, that's a real problem for me. Yeah, this is where, and we'll get into more of the roster selection in general, but it really started to hurt us here. Um, I think I was remiss not to mention Acosta, though, as one of the warrior types. And I, I think the substitution with Acosta was maybe correct from that standpoint. But as we have said a couple times here, he just isn't good enough with moving the ball forward to make it a, hey, we're going to go win. The roster selection, specifically with Areola, Conrad De La Fuente is a better player to bring in in that late game situation where you're trying to chase the game and win. That's is why Areola does not have a place in the squad is because if you're going to utilize somebody late on, it's not because we're trying to like sure up things necessarily. If you're going to do that, we got other def- Acosta could be brought on or whatever and change formation. If we're going to try to go out and win, we need dudes that can make shit happen. And Ariola is not one of those uh, one of those guys. Um, and then now we'll get into I think something that a lot of people will you know, think we're heretics because of, and we'll we'll even hit on this harder when we wrap up the November window. But in my opinion, Pepe should have been subbed off a lot sooner. Uh, the he he did some good things to begin the game, but there's this inconsistency that keeps manifesting with him. And he seems to ha- have these like bad first touches and, and kind of get lost in the game. I know there's a, there was a little bit of a disconnect between the midfield and the attack. Uh, but really, the guy wasn't making stuff happen. And at some point, you just got to make a change. And I think we shouldn't be so entrenched with Pepe that we're going to defend him when he just isn't playing very well and not want to change it up and try to win because you don't want to admit that maybe what you were thinking was incorrect. I agree. We'll touch on Pepe later, um, but I agree with what you've said. Yeah, so um, I guess this will kind of transition us into the November squad in general. But yeah, in the game specifically, I think a lack of depth in the squad really, really hurt us specifically um, with key difference makers. You know, somebody like uh, Luca De La Torre may have been able to break through the midfield a little bit more effectively. Conrad, a great dribbler, can do some really mercurial stuff. And then guys like DK to battle physically or Sargent for his his whole holdup play, um, I think would have been really good options in this game. But Greg just made it so we couldn't we couldn't have these kind of things going on by bringing his favorites. And if we're going to want to be able to compete and and go out and try to win all the games, we need to have better options that give us more versatility in terms of going and commanding the game rather than becoming defensive and conservative. Yeah, I, I want to touch on this for a moment as we transition into, um, in, in, into what we need to do in the future, but the squad depth is so important. Knowing what Luca De La Torre can do in this midfield when he's combined with other pairings is of absolute importance to us. He is, he is way too poorly regarded or not necessarily poor poorly regarded but he's grossly underrated by the fan base 
what he's doing in the Dutch league is keeping a team in its current division um, as a mid to low level team. He's playing in a double pivot consistently. He's occupying a position that we absolutely need depth in. He's performing at a high level. He is one of those guys that is going to be an enticing transfer target for any of the um, teams in top five leagues. And he's a reasonable starting option for many of those teams as well. He must he must be in the lineup, um, or at least the roster, and we need to test him in the lineup. It's a big miss for De La Torre to not be on the field. Georgi Mihailovic absolutely deserves a shot. It would seem that a lot of these principles that we're doing with, including the likes of Pepe, are oriented towards driving his transfer value up, which makes sense from an economics perspective, but it's players like Mihailovic that could really impact their price tag and really impact small market teams like Montreal. I'm not going to I'm not going to keep getting into this, but uh, you understand what I mean about Mihailovic. Um, Conrad, you said it. He's a guy that is brought on by Marseille to close out games. He should be doing the exact same thing for us. He could probably do it at a better level than any of the options we have. Certainly, um, certainly Ariola and then Sergeant and DK. I mean, these are the guys that you want when you have a physical mismatch like you do against Jamaica. DK, I believe, is one of the largest players hard stop in professional football in terms of um, height, uh, the combination of height and weight. And Sargent is also a very physical player. He would have done well in the game against Jamaica. This is where squad depth hurts. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So now moving into the uh, the November window in general. So I would say that the four points we got is good. It, it, but it's just not great. And especially once we beat Mexico, it felt like we should just have kicked on and, and, and beat Jamaica. But our poor road form is showing itself again. And I can't help but think that it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. We hear so much about how, oh, it's so tough on the road and all these like these really, to me, they're they're de- it's a defeatist mentality, and I got to imagine the young guys who emotionally are up and down a bunch. Um, you know, they're kind of exhausted given the exertion in the Mexico game, and then they like hear from their coach, in all likelihood, how tough it is on the road and how you have to be prepared, and like it's you know it, you got to weather the storm kind of stuff. The more reactionary mentality starts to manifest itself, and we're not implementing ourselves upon the game in the same way as we were. The field doesn't doesn't help with this either because we can't quite play our game. But I really don't think the the approach is helping here. We need to be, we're better, let's go play like it. And as soon as we get on the road, that seems to evaporate. I agree. Um, we treat these games as if they need to be these dogfights, and they don't need to be that way. Um, one of the reasons why teams like Jamaica are able to play so physical against the United States is because obviously the roughing is poor, but when we make certain substitutions that bring the talent on the field closer to the level that Jamaica is playing at instead of us separating ourselves. So for example, a Conrad versus an Areola is an example of us separating ourselves, but an Areola versus Conrad is bringing our, our, cell, our talent levels closer to Jamaica. It makes it easier for the ref to call the game in the exact same way that they've been calling it. When there's a clear gap in, in skill, that changes. Um, so I think there is a, a negative self-fulfilling prophecy with this notion that we can't go win on the road. 
Yeah, it, you made a really good point there. What uh, you're talking about with that that refing shift, it manifested itself as soon as Pulisic got on the field. You know, he starts dribbling people and they hack him and we get fouls right away. So having more guys doing that is better rather than having like more guys that run around and run into people uh, because then it's we're playing down to the level of our competition. And I'm actually fine with these type of games being dogfights so long as we're the big dog. We're not the little dog, you know, we're not the timid one. That's, that's the big important thing for me. Uh, but yeah, I guess, do you want to get into um, some of our, some of how big of heretics we are here to the rest of the U.S. men's national team community? Some of our iniquities will present. Yeah. Please forgive us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to be hated for this, but we've been saying this for probably the last two um, international breaks. I think, in the in the last international break, I believe towards the end of it, we were having conversations about, wow, where everyone's really convinced that we found Pepe as our true number nine. Why is everybody so convinced of this? It's a really small sample size. Hey, hasn't he had really good midfield combinations to play with? Wouldn't it have been nice if every other striker had that opportunity? Why is he being revered as the nine? And then we walk into this international break, and there's no other nine in the roster aside from I guess Jesus Ferreira, who isn't a nine, and you hear Burhalter in his press conferences say that Pepe is likely to start every game. This infatuation with Pepe has gone too far. It's not reasonable or fair for the men's national team. It's to me a clear indication that we're putting Major League Soccer's interests ahead of both the men's national team and even Ricardo Pepe's interests. It's not fair for him to be Ricardo Pepe for him to be in this situation where he's considered or being told he's the best nine or being expected to be the best nine coming off of injury, coming off of less minutes with FC Dallas than he had at any other point during the season. Um, Ricardo Pepe won the MLS Young Player of the Year, but he was the unanimous second place winner if you were to just take the fan and the or the coach, the coach and the player vote. So if it were just coach and player vote, Pepe is second by a long shot, but when you bring in the media vote, that's what that's what won Pepe the award. And the media vote between Tejan Buchanan and Ricardo Pepe wasn't even close. And to me, it was a misrepresentation of who the winner of that award was. Shortly after Pepe won the award, FC Dallas puts a price tag on on Ricardo Pepe that's roughly two two x. It's over two x what Club Brugge bought Tejan Buchanan for. Something is going on here, and it is not good for Pepe. It's not good for the men's national team. When the MLS has taken positions on players like this before, we found that they're unable to get them moves to European clubs. I'm concerned about this. Yeah, I think you touched on some really good points there. Uh, one thing I do want to say in closing on this is we're not saying that Pepe isn't good or even that he doesn't deserve to be the starter more often than not. It's more of a like he needs to be subject to the same type of criticism as anyone else that would be in that position. And having him be subject to the same type of criticism as everyone else is a way healthier environment for development and success in the national team. That's the bottom line in our opinion. Uh, so now moving on to, um, to another thing that'll probably get us strung up here is uh Wea. Wea is on fire right now. He looks like a huge difference maker for the national team. Every time that he is on the field. Um, and, the concept that as soon as Gio Reyna is back, he's automatically inserted into the lineup is, I think, not giving Wea enough credit. And it's also giving 
Geo a little bit too much pressure, it's fine to wait and see how their forms develop. And then in that moment, make the determination who is in a better position to impact the team. And it may even end up being uh, that given what who we're playing against and who else is healthy, you know, both of them are on the field or neither of them are on the field or, you know, the, the, the concept of people being lock in starters is something we shouldn't throw around all willy nilly. Yes. Gio Reyna is incredible. Uh, his ceiling is higher than maybe any player that we've ever seen, but he is super young still. He is injured right now. And Weya is performing phenomenally. I think you have to just contextualize stuff and then make the determination when the time comes. The difference between being in form on a high level, but not very competitive, like even in, even in most NCAA teams, you know, for maybe some of the listeners who have played at that level, the difference between being in form and being out of form is the difference between being potentially the guy in your starting 11 to riding the bench. And at the highest of levels, it makes an even bigger difference. Geo is going to need a run of games before he re before he reintegrates with the men's national team. And under no circumstance should we ever take a player who's up consistently for man of the match and remove him because somebody somebody else, and especially an eighteen year old, deserves that position. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, on a, on a super basic level here, it's just about not being completely entrenched in one viewpoint and thinking that anything else outside of it is automatically incorrect. It's just not really that good for your brain to operate like that in general. And this is coming um, from a guy with a brain the size of a small squirrel. Yeah, exactly. Even I can recognize that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I think the last thing that'll, that'll get us, uh, you know, called heretics here is... Guys, DeAndre Edlin's fine. No, he's not going to be as progressive as Dest. No, he's not as athletic as uh, Scaly and probably doesn't have as high, obviously doesn't have as high of a ceiling anymore. And he will probably won't be the starter in a little bit, you know, because Dest will be back or Scaly will be more fully integrated. But he's not that bad. He's actually like a really good journeyman professional, as I just keep saying at nauseum. He serves a good purpose, as Al had talked about in a previous episode. Uh, it's actually not that bad to have kind of an asymmetric, hey, the left side of guy bombs forward and the right side of guy is more going to adopt a defensive posture to give us more solidity if we get countered on. Like, that isn't that big of a deal. Uh, and yeah, I bitch about conservative stuff from Greg, but it's only to a point it's not everything is like completely one way or completely another way. There's a lot of gray area and most of the world exists in that gray area. I feel like Deandre Yedlin is that like fake, that like day at the in-laws that you don't want to go to. And you're like, Oh man, going to my in-laws sucks. Deandre Yedlin starting sucks. And then you go and you experience the day and it's like, Hey, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was. The only difference with DeAndre Yedlin is the fan base afterwards isn't saying, hey, that's not as bad as I thought it was. They've been extremely nitpicky with every small thing the guy's done. Yet on the whole, especially in the game against Mexico, he was he was a very important player for us defensively. And so I guess we'll just keep saying DeAndre Yedlin isn't that bad until he actually starts proving otherwise. And 
I hope the fan base might change their tone a little bit. Yeah, we can hope. Probably won't. We'll just have to keep, you know, busting what we see as inappropriate narratives. Uh, moving on here. Um, I think both of us would have liked to see Scaly more. It's funny to transition into this, but uh, I don't know if it was correct at any point to bring him on. Maybe later on in the in the um, Mexico game, but yeah, it just. It, I'm glad he was in the squad. I think the guy has a a great career ahead of him. I would have liked to see a few minutes of him. Um, yeah, and you know, Burhalter though that's. Talking about him specifically, he has started deploying better starting lineups in general. The last two lineups I was really satisfied with. It's what we get into after that that becomes the really big, the really big issue, uh, which I guess we kind of touched on already. So, I think Hartek said it really well when we had him on the pod the other day that having five substitutions is saving Burhalter because he's not making the right substitutions at the right time and. The two extra subs he has and the ability he has to use sub two and three are kind of saving his ass when it comes to game management. Yeah, that's a it's a really strong point. Uh, always nice to have a mulligan or two in the bag. Um, but yeah, now let's get into a little bit of what the outlook for qualifying looks like here, because it is not straightforward whatsoever, and we need to be. I think pretty cautious about about how this gets approached. Um, we got six games total left: three at home, three away. The home games, generally speaking, are not that bad. We we get El Salvador, which we should win, right? We get Honduras, which we should win, and then second to last game of qualifying is a home game against Panama. I see this game it could end up being just extremely important um hopefully we've done a good job up until that point in the four games that are going to come before then but this game could be i mean it could be so nerve-wracking that one uh and then touching on the three away games i don't know if these are officially the three hardest away games we could possibly have but the first one is against canada they are in great form right now. We cannot sleep on them. Um, I don't know if there's a tougher opponent in Canada right now, especially to play away. And I think the game is in like February. So it's not going to be a great environment whatsoever. And they have they have great players. They also don't argue about random stuff. Like Jonathan David can be on the bench to begin with, and their fan base doesn't seem to be freaking out a whole bunch. So we should probably think about that um, in terms of why they are overperforming what maybe people would initially think of them. Um, Yeah, the Mexico away game, it's going to be the first away game where Mexico has fans back. They are suspended for two games now, no fans, and they're going to, it's going to be a madhouse. And the USA being the first team that they host where they have fans back. Yeah. They're, they're licking their lips at this. Uh, and then the final game of qualifying is a way to Costa Rica and no, they're not having a great, uh, a great run right now, but they would be thrilled to be able to knock us out of the world cup. And we better hope that that is not the situation going into that final week. Al, you got any comments on 
that tirade I just went on. No, I think you nailed it. Um, Canada is at the top of the table right now for a reason. Herdman has done more with that team than Burhalter's done with the men's national team, and their fan base and their coach and their players are all in uniform. They do not freak out when certain players, like you said, Jonathan David can sit. Fan base is cool. Um, the only thing that they freaked out about recently was Tejan Buchanan not winning MLS Young Player of the Year. The game against Mexico is a winnable game at Azteca. We need to go out and play like it's that. We cannot posture up defensively. Um, and yeah, I think Costa Rica would love to be the team that unseats us in that game at home against Panama. I've got it highlighted as like potentially the most important game remaining in uh, our international windows. Yeah, I think it I think it really could be the most important game remaining. Obviously there's quite a few other games to be played before then, but when I was when I was reviewing this stuff, I looked at how this was going to play out potentially and our last three games are Mexico away, Panama at home, Costa Rica away. And gosh, I hope we get into a positive a positive position um and are not just on a slide there because our home form or our away form has been very poor. And that's a tough home game right there. Yeah, this could this could go south. I think that we got what it takes. Obviously, we I think we have you know probably the best team in in terms of uh, players in Concacaf, but we got to show it. And we've been too up and down to feel ultra confident about this. I agree. Well said. So yeah, um, I guess that pretty much rounds it out for the review. We don't want to be in fourth spot though, because playing against a South American team is—it's winnable but extremely difficult. Um, yeah, sorry to backtrack quickly, but uh, yeah, I think I think that that's about it for the week. Um, Al, do you have any closing thoughts? No, I think you, I think we did a good job of of being direct with how we performed in this break. Um, there are Ryan, what do we have going on this week? There's a few more things. The fans at home should expect, um, any flavor of what we might be covering off on this week. Uh, yeah. So we are, uh, going to have our, as much of a normal schedule again as possible. Really? We can't cause you know, Thanksgiving's coming up. So we'll be doing a, uh, weekend roundup podcast. And then we might have one extra podcast with a special guest yet to be determined if that's going to go down or not. Uh, really looking forward does but uh other than that i want to thank everyone for listening and uh don't forget to eat your pork and for fat and children i say have a good one